0: Hello and welcome to Calling All Detectives from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Calling All Detectives! When I investigated the theft of an antique ring, I was so well disguised that nobody even knew I was alive. That is the situation on this page from my casebook, the casebook of Jerry Browning, Private Detective. One of the first things a private detective like me, Jerry Browning, learns is the difference between the genuine and the false. I looked at the big table, straightened a play setting. Then I pulled my jacket smooth, shot my cuffs, and walked to the double doors. I faced the living room, cleared my throat, and announced, Dinner is served. Yeah, I was a butler at the Fairfield home of John Collum, a retired cotton processor who had turned collector since his retirement about ten years ago. Collum also liked to give parties. At one of them, a few weeks ago, an antique seal ring that had belonged to Alexander the Great disappeared. Now the same guests were back again, and I was supposed to figure out which of them was a thief. I walked to the kitchen where Joseph, the real butler, was hiding out and supervising me in my unaccustomed duties. Dinner starts with soup, Mr. Browning. Okay, but I still think that dressing up a detective as a butler is silly. It was Mr. Collins' idea, and it isn't silly, sir. Nobody notices a butler. When he's in a room, conversations go on as though he didn't exist. I picked up the soup, tureen. Yeah, maybe you're right, Joseph. Except that so far, I haven't the slightest idea who stole that ring. I've been so busy remembering which side to serve from. I took a deep breath. Open the door. Jerry Browning Butler is about to serve his first ladle full of soup. And if you hear any screams, it'll be a scorched neck, not a cry of guilt. I worked my way through the first few courses with only minor mishaps. As I finished serving the roast, one of the guests, George Pullum, remarked, He may not be the perfect butler, but he's good-looking enough for the ladies to forget that. (laughs) I was only a few feet from Pullum when he made that crank, and he acted as though I weren't in the room. No, two ways about it. Joseph, the real butler, was right. People who are used to butlers come to regard them as service machines rather than as fellow humans. Jerry, pull my guests a little wide. I worked my way around the table with a burgundy bottle. There were six guests, three men, three women, in addition to Mr. Collum, the host. Mr. and Mrs. John McPhee were plain-looking and a little out of place. He was the librarian of the Walkershaw Collection. She, a writer for an antiques magazine. George Pullum was a weak chin society lad who managed an art gallery. His dinner companion, Jeanette Thayer, was one of the most enterprising interior decorators in town. The other two guests were Mrs. Mary Cassidy, an old babe who considered herself a patroness of the arts, and James Lucky, a genteel, white-mustachioed old drunk. It seemed a reasonable assumption that one of these six was a crook. Yeah, but which one? Sometime later, Colum pushed back his chair and addressed me. We'll have coffee in the library, Jerry. Okay, I mean, yes, sir. Mrs. Cassidy, the old babe, hung behind as the others left the dining room, and when we were alone, asked me how much I was making. Two hundred a month, madam. I saw the look of surprise on her face, so I added hastily, and found. She promptly offered me a fifty percent raise if I'd quit and work for her. I didn't have to answer that because just then Colum came back. I missed you, Mary. Come along. I want to show you something really rare. That was a close one. I turned around, found Joseph at my elbow. Here's the coffee, Mr. Browning. Serve the ladies first. Okay. Uh, Joseph, how much does a real butler earn? That depends, Mr. Browning, on how good he is. I served the coffee, then merged with the background as Cullum prepared to spring the little surprise we'd planned. He opened the jewel case, exhibited a massive-looking ring. I'd like you all to see my most precious possession, the seal ring of Alexander the Great. (laughs) Callum waited for his words to sink in. A remarkable story goes with this ring. I purchased it a few months ago. As you know, I permit students and members of the public to view my choicest treasures, except that what they see are skilled imitations. About a week after our last dinner party, the imitation copy of this ring was stolen. An amazing, mysterious disappearance. <laughs> so, you see, my precautions have been justified. Colum's story was nonsense, of course. The ring he was showing was the imitation, made from a photograph of the original. And he changed the facts, too, because the real ring was stolen the night of his last dinner party, and not a week later, as he pretended. After coffee, the guests wandered around the house, looked at the various treasures on exhibit. As Colum left the library, he put the case containing the seal ring on a table. The library was deserted, except for me hiding behind an easy chair. We had a fine trap baited for a crook, except that nothing happened. Nobody came into the library. And around midnight, as the final guests left, Mr. Colum came back to the library. You can come out now, Browning. Our little plan didn't work. Too bad. I got to my feet. I'm sorry, Mr. Collum. Maybe one of those people wasn't the thief after all. Collum shook his head. I missed the seal ring within an hour after they left the last time. One of them is the thief, but he or she is too smart for us. I went on back to the kitchen, changed into my own clothes, told Joseph to return the butler's uniform he'd rented for the occasion. Then one of the other servants drove me to the station in time to catch the last train back to town. I'd sat down in the seat before I realized I was sitting alongside Mrs. Mary Cassidy, the patroness of the arts. Inside of ten minutes, she offered me $400 a month to work for her, plus room and board. I sat up straight. Mrs. Cassidy, do you mean to say that a butler, even a good one, is worth that kind of money? Mrs. Cassidy, I'm in the wrong business, I think. I didn't accept her offer. In fact, I didn't even go back to town. I got off at the next station, took a cab back to the Collum home. Mr. Collum, you forgot one person when you were listing your suspects. Your butler. The only person tonight other than yourself who knew I was a detective. Nobody would ever suspect a butler who makes enough money to be a collector in his own right and who has every chance in the world to augment his collection at your expense. I threatened Joseph with immediate arrest. And he caved in, fast. Offered to return everything he'd stolen if we wouldn't prosecute. Yeah, everything. He'd been helping himself to choice items from Cullum's collections for years and substituting imitations. Cullum didn't want to prosecute. But the insurance company took a different view of it. And for the next five years, Joseph did his serving at the State Pen. Like I said, it's so old-fashioned for a butler to commit a crime, that you feel almost silly to discover that they're just as human as anybody else.